Now this morning we are continuing a study that we began some weeks ago in the first letter that Peter wrote, 1 Peter, and uh, we are still at chapter 1 and we're not on a, in a rush. We're taking it verse by verse, in some cases even phrase by phrase. And uh, we come to the fourth and the fifth verse of 1 Peter chapter 1. The context before we read verse 4 to you is to remind you that it is God who according to His great mercy, as it says there in verse 3, has caused us, the redeemed, to be born again. And so many great blessings are wrapped up in that great act of God's mercy to save sinners. But it continues. We continue to count the blessings that come with our great salvation. And you read there in verse 4 that another of the reasons that we have been born again by God's grace, and I will read, to obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, who are protected by the power of God through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. Wonderful words of promise and great hope. Let us pray. Father, I ask now that the words of my mouth will be guided and directed by you, anointed, in fact, by your Spirit, as we handle this living word of truth. May it come forth and plant it like seed in our hearts and minds. Let it bring forth a harvest of righteousness so that we may live lives which bring your name glory until Jesus comes. And it's in his name that we ask this. Amen and amen. Could anything be more profound or wondrous than the gospel? of our Lord Jesus Christ. The divine, eternal plan of a thrice holy God to rescue hell-bent sinners from destruction. Redemption's story is something that angels haven't quite been able to comprehend. They look into it with curious wonder and awe. The best of theological minds after centuries of study are still mining the mystery, the unfathomable depths of redeeming love. Profound and wondrous indeed. And yet, a child can sing with conviction. Jesus loves me. (laughs) This I know. For the Bible tells me so. You know, the Lord is not offended even by such a juvenile way of expressing salvation's joy. Now, surely, God is worthy to be revered with the highest and best offerings of our praise, especially in song. But then again, since the oldest of us are always still just children in His eyes, I think he smiles upon our simplicity when we take the most sublime themes of eternity and we let loose with less than exquisite lyrics. 
like I remember singing around the youth group campfire, making s'mores. If you don't know what s'mores are, I'll pray for you. But we would, with, uh, with joy, lift up our voices and sing little ditties about the most sublime truth in all the universe. I'm satisfied with just the cottage below, a little silver and a little gold. But in that city where the ransom will shine, I want a gold one, that silver line. You're doing well. I've got a mansion just over the hilltop in that bright land where we'll never grow old. And someday yonder we will never more wander but walk on streets that are purest gold. Don't think me poor or deserted or lonely. I'm not discouraged. I'm heaven bound. I'm but a pilgrim in search of a city. I want a mansion, a harp and a crown. I've got a mansion just over the hilltop in that bright land where we'll never grow. Let me hear you. Now, what's just wonderful is this. That whimsical song rocks. That is, it it has a rock-solid foundation in Scripture. Peter, most explicitly in our text today, says that the redeemed, those God has caused to be born again to a living hope, have been born again, verse 4 again, to obtain... An inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. The Lord Jesus would give Peter's verse here the good housekeeping seal of approval, I think. For he, Jesus himself said, did he not? In my Father's house are many mansions And I go to prepare a place for you. Folks, I've got a mansion just over the hilltop. Jesus also taught that you and I would be wise to lay up for ourselves treasures in heaven. I got thinking about this. It just may be that the size of your room he prepares in the Father's house may be in direct proportion to the space you need. You and I labor here 
in Jesus' name in such a way that the room he is preparing, if in fact we're laying up treasures in heaven, may be either small or large. But in terms of our having a place at all in the eternal kingdom, understand has nothing to do with anything good or bad that we can do from here. This inheritance is imperishable, undefiled, unfading. What a piece of real estate. And it is ours only by, Peter says, inheritance. Nothing we deserve, but something gained by the work of another. We inherit from the one who builds the mansion with bloodied hands and feet. It comes to us by a heavenly Father who, through the merits of His only begotten Son, has by His great mercies begotten us, made us a part of His own family. I'm in the will. We share an inheritance. The very riches of Christ. We won't take time to turn there, but in Romans 8, the Apostle Paul refers to blood-bought sinners, the redeemed, as having, now listen very carefully, the spirit of adoption as sons, by which we cry out, Abba, Father, the Spirit Himself testifies with our spirit that we are children of God. But Paul says there's more, and he goes on to write, and he says, and if children, listen to this, heirs also, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ. That was Paul. But now Peter, as a second witness, is establishing the same fact concerning the nature of this inheritance. And he underscores uh, at chapter 3 and verse 7. Now, we're a long way away from chapter 3 and verse 7, but I'll point to it for just a moment, that our inclusion in God's family, in his last will and testament, if you will, are participating in his estate is for no other reason than his amazing grace, unmerited favor. In our future studies, we'll notice how this blessing, this inheritance, promotes something as practical and important, well, as harmony in a Christian marriage. We will take a peek there in chapter 3 and verse 7. Peter is saying in the first part of that verse that a husband ought to live with his wife recognizing, acknowledging her unique emotional makeup as a woman. Did you hear me, man? If you have a wife, you want things to go really well for both of you. He says, learn something about the makeup of a woman and how... There are sensitivities there which us bumbling men need to learn. But then Peter says this as an, as an added bonus. When things, I think, get tense, I think he has that in mind, and in every marriage they do. Peter says, and you can look at it there, 
Don't forget to show her honor as a fellow heir of the grace of life. Do you see that? This is a vital principle that reaches beyond the dynamics of marriage. It has the potential for bringing greater glory to God in how we Christians relate to one another. We begin, Lord willing, to see each other as having an undeserved share in the unsearchable riches of Christ. And if we would see that, well, we just might find it easier to show more grace to one another. What do you think? That's one of the practical implications. But back to our text here in chapter 1, verse 4. This word inheritance is undeniably an important theme of Scripture in both Old and New Testaments. The term inheritance appears 239 times in 203 verses. I counted them with the help of a computer. Then there's the word inherit 62 times in 61 verses. Now, I did do this. I scanned every one of the verses. And I can confidently declare to you that in every case and context, the terms inheritance or to inherit are employed by the Holy Spirit to denote that the blessing of God comes to us freely. There is no real estate in heaven that could ever be earned or bought. What will a man give in exchange for his soul? Build bigger barns? Well, that's been done since the beginning of time. Will he pile up a mountain of works righteousness? While in the sight of God, it isn't even worthy of a landfill. Filthy rags only good for burning and they shall. No, we inherit eternal life. And God alone is the author. He is the giver. He is the provider. The Lord himself is our salvation. Could anything, by the way, that we ever did or could do, be described as something imperishable, undefiled, and unfading? And yet Peter says this is the inheritance of those who have been born again to this living hope. You see, only the one raised from the dead 2,000 years ago could establish an estate that would be described as imperishable. Only one who uh, was indeed the Lamb of God, spotless and without blemish, could establish a salvation that remains forever undefiled. Only the one who ever lives and never changes could grant by grace a life to us that will never fade away. There's an old saying, I don't know where it came from. I'm not even sure I know what it means, but you probably have heard it too. It goes something like this. Old soldiers 
never die. They just fade away. But I have to tell you, that's not true of Christian soldiers. Number one, they never die, but they also never fade away. This is an inheritance, imperishable. This is an inheritance, undefiled. This is an inheritance that doesn't fade away. We come to the last of the phrases in uh, verse 4. And I'll have you see here that this inheritance isn't locked up for us in Fort Knox. Or in the vault at the World Bank. It doesn't have a numbered Swiss account. Because all of those places will someday, Peter tells us elsewhere, will melt with a fervent heat and be destroyed. You know, they tell us year-round Floridians to keep all of our important papers in waterproof containers so that we can toss them in the trunk of our cars should we have to flee the menacing hurricanes that could overwhelm the peninsula. But no place on earth could be secure enough for this inheritance of the redeemed. So what does Peter say? It is reserved. It is kept in heaven for you. Back in 1855, a young, sweet Swedish girl by the name of Caroline Sandell Berg, we are told, had been stricken with a strange childhood paralysis. And back in those days, uh, they didn't have the means to specifically diagnose the problem, but her believing parents knew what they needed to do. They called the church, God's people, together and put her on the prayer list and had some special prayer meetings that began to pray fervently for young Caroline, only 12 years of age, who for several weeks now had not even been able to walk. One Sunday morning, after some weeks of prayer, the parents went off to church and again to pray and to worship and ask on behalf of their daughter. And the story goes that when they arrived back at home to their great joy, Caroline was up from bed and walking in and out of the living room and into the kitchen and from her bedroom and back again, feebly, but walking. God was doing a work of healing. And while they were at church, what she did with that first strength that she gained, we are told, was to take pencil and paper and she wrote these words, children of the Heavenly Father, safely to His bosom gather. Nesting bird nor star in heaven, such a refuge air was given. And then, these words are just exquisite when you think they're coming from a 12-year-old child who believes and trusts in Jesus. She wrote, More secure is no one ever than the loved ones of the Savior. Amen? Beloved, the the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, Peter says, has been multiplied to us and our inheritance is reserved in heaven. Well, now you may know, I hope you do, 
that God is merciful. You may know that God has caused you to be born again. You may know that God raised Jesus from the dead. You may know that God promised to keep your inheritance imperishable in heaven. In other words, you know what God has done in the past to give you life. And you now know from the text what God is going to do in the future. And that is to give you all of your inheritance. But what about now? What about the time between that new birth and final salvation? What about the temptations? What about the pressures, the stresses, the weariness? What about persecution, frustrations, suffering, confusion, depression, perplexity, fears, sins, and failures that we face now? Does God do anything about that? Does He send His Son to die for our sins, raise Him from the dead to open eternal life, cause us to be born again, and then just kind of stand back to see if we'll make it to heaven? Well, there's more in this next verse. Verse 5. The King James Version says, We are kept. I always wondered what it would be like to be a a kept man. (laughs) Far better to be kept by God. Peter, uh, when he gave us the New American Standard, said, We are protected. Kept, protected. Listen to this now. By the power of God. That's for here and now, or as someone like myself tends to like to think, that's that's for Monday. Never that fond of Mondays for probably a variety of reasons. Kept, protected, now and on Monday mornings. Let me ask, do you think that the that the infinite omnipotence of Almighty God can guarantee that you will actually get to see that mansion over the hilltop? You see, the implications of verse 5, we will see, link to the matter of present hardship and suffering. That's verse 6. You have to, should the Lord tarry, come back next week. We move on to verse 6. Verse 6 is all about Mondays of every kind. It's all about present trouble. It's all about affliction. It's all about suffering. And that's where Peter's been going with these verses. And he tells us that it was in eternity past that God had a plan to save us. In time, He did. And he tells us that there is an inheritance and it is reserved and saved and kept in heaven. But now he tells us in this present time. And we'll take that apart in a little more detail next Lord's Day at verse 6. But for now, clearly, you see that Peter wants the believer. He uses the language in this last time, sometimes translated as the last days. 
in verse 5. Or as Paul said in another place, in this present evil age, he wants us to know that nothing, nothing, nothing can separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. And that someday, you and I will see that it was all true. That the inheritance is an eternal and tangible gift of God's grace. That nothing in your life, nothing on earth, ever could have caused it to perish. Nothing rusted or decayed. Not even your thieving sins, let alone the great destroyer, could steal it away. That nothing about its glory first revealed at Calvary could have ever caused it to fade. Surely the treasures of this inheritance will shine as brightly as the countenance of our glorious risen King. So what is the Word of God saying to us? More secure is no one ever than the children of the Father. Or I'd like to give it to you in a word. If you're a child of God, relax. You and I are not walking a tightrope to heaven. We do not have to be like Nick Walinda, who this last Thursday skywalked, walked a, ro- a tightrope in downtown Sarasota, Circus City. Some of you know the history. There he was with a 45-pound balancing pole. He took his 600-foot-long, 200-feet-high journey from one Watergate, the condominium there, over to the Ritz-Carlton. Walenda, on Thursday, by the way, saved his most inspired moment for the halfway mark. His spangled t-shirt glimmering in the sun, the Sarasota native eased flat on his back atop the nickel-thick galvanized aircraft cable. And then he waved to the throngs below. And of course, he drew roars. It was so exciting. I was afraid to look up, said one of the spectators. Well, listen, folks. On my journey to glory, I'm afraid not to look up. To him who is keeping me By His omnipotent grace. Not a type rope. Not for me. I don't even like stepladders. But perhaps a different illustration. One I borrow from uh, pastor and preacher John Piper. What a blessing it was to me for me to read this this week. I want to pass it on to you. He says, picture it like this. He says, Your salvation and mine is like a chain that extends back into eternity and all the way forward into eternity. It is an unbreakable chain. 
Wherever you look on this chain, you find links of iron forged by God Himself. If you look back into eternity, as far as you can look, you find what we've already studied in the first verses of this chapter. You find divine election to the elect aliens. Remember that? God chose you from the beginning in eternity past, Paul says in 2 Thessalonians 2.13, and He chose you for salvation. If you look forward into eternity as far as you can on this chain of salvation, we learn today that you see an inheritance that according to verse 4 is reserved by God for you and is therefore imperishable, undefiled, unfading. God took charge of your salvation at the beginning before you existed and God is securing its great goal before you ever get there in the future. If you look back on this chain a couple thousand years, you find God sending His Son Jesus to shed His blood for your sin. We studied this in verse 2, the sprinkling with the blood of Christ. Then you find Him 2,000 years ago raising Jesus from the dead to conquer death and to give you a hope that is called a living hope because it is Jesus Himself. Well, now let's get a little more personal. If you look back, for some of you, maybe one or only two years, or you look back over 20 years or 70 years as a believer, you see that great link in the chain called new birth. And you see from verse 3 of 1 Peter 1 that it is not a link forged by you, but again, by God. Peter said, blessed be God who caused us to be born again unto a living hope. There are no weak links in this chain. Leave that to fairy tales about evolution or something. Weakest links. There is no weak link. More secures no one ever than the children of the Heavenly Father from eternity past to what's waiting for us in the eternity to come. And in the here and the now, nothing less than the omnipotence of God does keep us. If you look now at the chain of salvation being forged this very day or on Monday, what do you see? If you look at the chain that connects new birth in the past with your inheritance in the future, what do you see? What you see, verse 5 says. And let me give you the actual Greek text or tense of the words. What it really says is, we are now being. We are now being protected by the power of God. Not a millisecond of break. In the power that sustains us, it is the very power of God for a salvation. Yes, still ready in some sense to be revealed in the last time. What I'm saying is that the eternal life you inherit 
Well, it's eternal life. The eternal life you inherit is indestructible because it is all of God himself. I like what Caroline wrote about the security of every child of God, but I also like the next of these great hymns. We've done a lot of singing this morning, even in the sermon. We're going to sing again now. Under his wings, I am safely abiding. Though the night deepens and tempests are wild, still I can trust him. I know he will keep me. He has redeemed me. And I am his child. 